So, of course, this time we'll offer uh, Children's Church to those who are in kindergarten through fifth grade, and we're going to continue talking about the idea of having a way, a couple different ways, or couple different choices, again, just as if you choose to take advantage of Children's Church in the back of the building. And speaking of choices, and by the way, before we get into uh, more of the message, I did choose to go patchless today, in case you're wondering. Uh, I haven't been quite miraculously healed overnight. I've seen a little bit of improvement, uh, but there's still kind of some going back and forth there. I had a really good night vision wise the other evening and then it was kind of back to being awful the next day. So keep your prayers going, they're working, God is good, uh, but I think I still have quite a ways to go on this vision thing. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing you, but you're kind of broken up, so. Uh, but I know that you're out there, so. Choices. We continually have to make choices, don't we? Life is a series of choices. How many choices do you think we make in a single day? If you had to guess, if you had to pick a number, how many choices do you make in a day? You know, when you go to a restaurant, well, you have to choose the restaurant, right? That's sometimes that's that can ruin your whole night. (laughs) Which sounds better this evening, chicken or ribs? There's a choice. That's an easy one, isn't it? New appliance, something breaks down, usually at the worst possible time, doesn't it? Do you buy GE? Do you buy Whirlpool? You have a choice. You always have choices. You have a lot of choices to make in life. Are you a fan of Michigan or Michigan State? Some of you are looking at me like that's not much of a choice. I'll let you discuss amongst yourselves. But choices await us. Choices never leave us alone our whole life long, it seems, you know, from the time we're, we're small uh, through childhood up to the point of adulthood. And some of the choices we make, they're, they're small, right? They might have a little visible effect upon us. Um, some choices have a bearing on the rest of our lives. I have this great typo, I have to tell you here. I, I meant our lives somehow. I got the word olives. It tests whether you're uh, sticking to your script or not, you know. Well, we have a lot of choices. We, uh, they, never, they never go away. They never leave us alone. When we're young, uh, often we'll hear that question asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. But this question sometimes is accompanied by other questions. When I, you know, graduate high school, do I want to attend a state school, right? Do I uh, want to get some technical training? Do I want to join the military? Lots of choices. What kind of potential mate am I looking for? Do I want to have children someday? The questions just continue. The choices just present themselves to us. The older we get as we make some of these decisions, this in turn changes our life circumstances, right? Often then we're faced with a whole new set of questions, a whole new batch of choices. We make for different eras within our lives. By the time we're, we're in our 30s, perhaps, you know, we ask questions such as, well, should I take that job out of state? Should I stay local? I have a choice. Should I plan a vacation to the Midwest? Should I save up another year, travel uh, internationally? How much money do I need to put back right now to have X amount of dollars put back and so on and so forth? Multiple roads we can take in life. As we get older, the choices change along with our priorities, but most of the time, we never lose the ability to choose, right? 
Sometimes a physical, sometimes some other kind of disability might affect some of our freedom. Even then we have choices to make, even if they consist of little more than, am I going to count my blessings today or be, set, be upset about my limitations? Even there, we have a choice. I always have a choice. More often than not, we have God-given freedom in this life. No matter where we're heading, we're blessed with choices. We're blessed with choices along the way. And Jesus acknowledges this freedom of choice. Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says the following. Turn there with me in your uh, Bibles if you'd like to, or uh, you can read it on the screen behind me. Here we're given a choice. We have to make a choice as we travel through life. If you remember from last week, Jesus has just given us the golden rule, hasn't he? Remember that? We talked all about that. Then he continues. He goes on by saying this to us. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And then he says, verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's the end of our text uh, from the Mount today. It's, it's brief. This morning, I'd like to suggest that out of all the choices you and I can make in our entire lifetime, no matter how long we get, from who will I marry, to when will I visit my grandkids, to all the points in between, VHS or beta, some of you remember making that choice? That was a couple years ago. There is none more important than the choice to travel through the narrow or the wide gate. None more important. According to Jesus, each and every one of us has a choice to make. Which are we going to choose? Which way are we going to go? Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray this morning that your words would fill us I pray, Lord, that we would be moved. You've given us a choice between gates. You've given us a choice between directions. I just pray, Lord, as we, as we gather together, that your words would convict us. I pray, Lord, that, that we would consider the possibilities, even as we believe in you, that we wouldn't stop listening to you. We would sit beside you at the mount and that these words would permeate who we are. Help us, Lord, to focus on you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to speak to you a little bit about traveling. There's a classic, you know me, I, I'm kind of a film guy, kind of like movies, there's a classic 1980s comedy movie all about traveling. I'd like to recall it briefly. Maybe some of you have seen it or seen parts of it. Uh, do you remember a little film called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Did you ever see this movie from the 80s? Okay, I've seen a couple hands out there, a couple smiles on a couple faces. Maybe some of you remember Planes, Trains, and Automobiles if you caught the TV version. It was way better, by the way, on TV. Uh, this film, about 30 years old now, starred a very snobby Steve Martin character. And he was traveling alongside a very sloppy John Candy character. If you remember those actors? Remember those guys? Martin's still with us. He's actually playing a lot of banjo these days. 
Um, just as a disclaimer, while this entire film isn't uh, appropriate at times, there is one scene that's definitely appropriate for our purposes this morning. It came to mind when I was working on the uh, message. This character played by uh, John Candy, the comedian, he's behind the wheel of a car, he's, he's inattentive, he's, he's haphazardly driving down the highway. You can kind of picture this with me. And the character played by Steve Martin it began his travels, he was cranky, he was restless, and he's very much remained both of these things. Martin's uh, character is long overdue to return home to his family for Thanksgiving uh, after a business trip. And he just can't seem to get there. But along the way, he's connected with the character played by John Candy. And he's a very careless guy, uh, very abrasive. He's made his trip about a thousand times worse. Makes for some funny moments. But at one point of the film, it's the middle of the night, they're on the road, Martin's looking out the front passenger window, Candy's driving the car, Martin sees a couple on a parallel stretch of highway, motion to him to roll down the window. Martin rolls down the window to hear a couple in the front of the vehicle, and they're yelling frantically at him, trying to get his attention. The car parallel to Candy and Martin is coming down the opposite lane across the median, but it's facing the same way as they are. So there's only one explanation for what's going on. Either Candy or the driver on the opposite side of the median are on the wrong side of the median. They're on the wrong side of the median. Well, the man driving the vehicle on the opposite side yells out, You're going the wrong way! Martin yells back, What? You're going the wrong way, they hear. You're going the wrong direction, the man yells back. The woman in the passenger seat of the other car joins her driver in yelling, You're going the wrong way! Martin's kind of nodding sleepily. He turns to John Candy's character. He says, He says, We're going the wrong way! John Candy's character scoffs back and says, Oh, he's obviously been. How would he know which way we're going? Martin thinks about this moment. How would he know where we're going? Nods back saying, you're right. How would he know where we're going? Turning back to the couple in the vehicle on the opposite side of the meeting, uh, Martin laughs. Wisdom saying, thank you. Thank you. The couple shouting turns more feverish. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Look, facing the vehicle, our two main characters inhabit are two very large semi-trucks, one in each lane, heading right for them. They were on the wrong side of the median. They were going the wrong way. Candy swerves ridiculously, and yes, the two characters do survive without a scratch, only in a manner that a Hollywood comedy would expect us to believe. Vehicle rolls between the two semi-trailers, coming out in one piece, but totally unrecognizable on the other side. It's a very memorable scene with a highly unlikely resolve, but this phrase, you're going the wrong way, can certainly apply throughout life, right? Two guys, they're obviously trying to get somewhere, but they're going in the wrong direction, and it nearly kills them. What we've learned here is that you can't turn onto the wrong way of a median without heading for destruction. And you know what? On a more serious note, you also can't turn onto the wrong way spiritually in this life without heading for destruction as well. And in our text, Jesus talks about the wide and the narrow gates and the easy and the difficult ways which follow them. And what I'd like for you to 
really think about this morning and hone in on is Jesus is talking to us again from the mount. Jesus is talking to his followers, his followers in verse 13. He says, yes, the easy way in life, he says, there's much more travel, a lot more traffic, but it doesn't get us where we want to go. If we travel that way, we're going the wrong direction. Jesus goes on to say in verse 14 that, yes, the difficult path in life is far less traveled, but it leads to life in him. What Jesus is getting at here? Let's just get to the point of the matter. Are, are we living, my friends, like we want to go to heaven or the alternative? Because here's the thing. The road to hell is big enough for everybody and everything. It's wide road. Wide door. When I read our text in verse 13, I think about a busy stretch of highway. Maybe not one that includes Steve Martin and John Candy, but one that's busy, one that's moving along quickly. You know, S-curve, rush hour, Grand Rapids, busy and moving along, maybe at the least. How about Atlanta? That's a fun stretch of highway. Everybody's going 80 miles an hour. Maybe it's a... Smooth ride if everybody's moving along, at least in contrast to the other route. Why is the route Jesus is speaking of a smooth ride? Well, as one commentator notes, this wide gate, this road that follows, quote, allows many to enter with no sacrifice on their part, no giving up anything. You're allowed to bring whatever baggage you want for the trip. You're allowed to believe anything you want to believe about the trip, and therefore... This is the path chosen by most people in this life concerning belief and behavior. I find it unsettling that Jesus is speaking to his people. Think about it, fellow travelers. If you and I, if we've entered the wide gate, if we're on the easy road of which Jesus speaks, we're not accountable to anybody, right? Who are we accountable to? It's an easy way. If we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road, it doesn't matter if we accept all or just part or maybe a chapter here of this, of God's words to us, or maybe just the ones that we want to believe. If we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road in life, we can believe in a million gods, five gods, or no gods at all, right? If we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road, we can lie, cheat, gossip, steal, drink to excess, sleep with anybody we want, and blame somebody else for our own bad behavior. If we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road, we can worship our stuff, refuse to forgive old debts, hate other people for being different from us, and neglect our families, neglect raising our children in the Lord. If we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road, we're going to have plenty of company. This is the way a lot of people are. But you know what we can't do, brothers and sisters, if we've entered the wide gate and we're on the easy road? We can't expect to travel the wrong direction and end up in the right place. The Bible tells us where this road is going. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 9, Paul talks about those who, quote, do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus as suffering the punishment of eternal destruction. Goes on to say, this is away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There really is a highway to hell. And if you're on it, take heed. You're going the wrong direction. 
the narrow gate Jesus speaks of in, in our text, it isn't being knocked over exactly by the fast and the furious. You know what I mean? Or even the furiously religious. Jesus tells us in verse 14 that those who will find it are few. Few. That's unsettling. Few. And maybe it's because many of us aren't exactly looking for it. It's not exactly what we might call easy street. One preacher writes, the way that leads to life is difficult. Why is it difficult? It requires a change in our behavior. Going through the narrow gate means that we can no longer travel like the rest of the world. We can no longer look like the rest of the world. Friends, if this is you this morning, if this is me, if we call ourselves Christians, you know, if we've confessed Christ as our Savior, we've been baptized into him, if we're already Christians, we've got to let go of our old ways from getting to point A to point B. If we're on the road following Jesus home, as we said in last week's message, the only way for us is going to be his way. What's his way? The way of the cross. So what does this mean for us in our travels? Remember, Jesus has already told us this. He's already given us the details in this very sermon that we've been studying from week to week. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already told us the kind of behavior he expects from those who are on his trail. It's not a guessing game. Look back at with me. Turn in your Bibles, Matthew 5, verses 3 to 16. Look there with me. We'll start there. And we just skim through the text. You remember here, Matthew 5, verses 3 to 16. Jesus lists the Beatitudes. That's where we started. It's where we began this journey. He lists the Beatitudes. He just describes his followers as salt and light. The Beatitudes, this was the fuel for our journey home. The fuel for our journey home on the hard road. And Jesus, when he talks about salt and light, that remember these were the descriptors, actual descriptors of those who follow him. This is what we're going to look like. Now look with me in your Bibles. Just skim ahead. Keep, keep, keep going through. Keep looking through the text there. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And we've talked through these. We've talked through all these principles. Jesus has warned us about keeping our anger in check. And we've talked through his words here. But as Christ followers, are we taking his advice? Are we listening to him? Are we taking this seriously? Do we have maybe an accountability person or a group of prayer warriors maybe to hold us to the straight and narrow emotionally, keeping our anger in check? Or are we still traveling the way of the world and how we treat others? Do you see where I'm going through this? We don't need to talk through all of it again. But we can keep looking at the text. Verses 27 to 32, Jesus speaks on immorality. If we're Christians, are we, are we keeping our eyes and hearts away from people that we're not married to? Or are we still sinning against our own bodies, 1 Corinthians 6.18? That's easy. That's what everybody else does. We go on and on here about the way of the cross. Jesus has shown us the way of the cross. He's been preaching to us about the way of the cross, what that looks like. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. Are we continuing to seek restoration in our relationships? What way is our way? It's unsettling and it's humbling. And, and I know, I, I know we're not going to obey this text perfectly. I know we're not going to keep every single commandment in this sermon, let alone the whole book. We're sinful. We praise God that this grace covers us, right? No matter how we fail it. 
But as we think about the words of the Sermon of the Mount, let's not try to cheapen them. There's only two kinds of gates leading to two kinds of roads, ending in two kinds of destinations. And there's only two kinds of people, those who actively seek Christ's way and those who prefer their own way. I have to be honest with you, friends. There was a long time in life where I tried to look for option C. It doesn't exist. In Luke 13, 23, someone asked Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? How does Christ respond in verse 24? He says, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This Greek word we've translated strive for this other text in Luke. Um, it, 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 uh, it's also the root of the English word agonized. I'm no Greek uh, scholar, so I'm, I hate to try to pronounce the word, you know, but uh, agizonomai or A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. There, I'll, I'll do that. I'll be safe. This word we translate agonize, agony. It's a hard road home. This makes plenty of sense when we consider the statistically. Do you realize how many church members fall into activity every year? Could you guess? Could you throw out a number? 2.7 million. 2.7 million people fall into inactivity. People who have confessed Christ. What happened to these people? They forgot who they were striving for. You know, following Jesus is a hard road to hoe. It is. But he's given us a heads up about it in his word. The way that leads to life is going to feel like death. It's not a shortcut. It's not a bypass. You're going to feel the miles that you run after a while because the hard road won't be easy on us. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride because we're going to be forced to deal with these things that Jesus has talked about in this Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be forced to deal with our anger. We're going to be forced to deal with our lust. We'll be taught how to love one another, keep the golden rule. We're not going to be able to just turn a blind eye. No pun intended. I'm going to get as much mileage as I can, by the way. We're not going to be able to just turn a blind eye to sin in our lives because if we want to get home, we've got to follow the way. Statistically, 240 million out of the estimated 326 million people in the U.S. claim to be Christians. 240 million out of an estimated 326. But biblically speaking, some percentage, and I don't know what the number is, we're not told that, but some percentage of the 240 million who claim Christianity aren't actually claimed by Jesus and therefore will be turned away in eternity, according to Luke 14.27. That's not easy to hear, but it's the truth. May we listen closely to what Jesus has to tell us from the mount. Remember that narrow gate by which we've entered. Because here's the thing. The sign over this wide gate, it doesn't necessarily say this way to hell. Perhaps it says this way to heaven. And it's a big fat lie. If you feel like you've maybe bought into a quote-unquote Christian travel package that isn't obedient to Christ, I'd encourage you to pray about it. Talk to God about it. I've been there. 
If you're running down a highway haphazardly like uh, Steve Martin and John Candy, you, you may think you're, you're getting somewhere, but you're going the wrong direction. Mention that some of our choices, some of our decisions to make, short-term, trivial, you know, the, the, the tuna melt or the ham salad, that's probably not going to change your life too much. Some of the lines we draw may, may stand the test of time, maybe a slightly bigger deal. If you're a, an American history buff, you, you might appreciate the following illustration. Again, I came across it and I wanted to share it with you. I thought it kind of brought things together well this morning. Anyone here ever uh, visited, uh, this is a couple miles away from the middle of the Mitten, Michigan, but anybody here ever, ever visited the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas? Anybody ever been there, got any Alamo fans? Pretty cool place. Wanted to share this with you. I thought this was kind of cool. One preacher writes the following. This is him talking, not me. Having been born and raised in Texas, I've always had a special fondness for the Alamo. He goes on, it was in that old Spanish mission in 1836 that a volunteer band of 182 patriots fought and died for what they believed. Surrounded for 13 days by the Mexican army, numbering 5,000, the Texans were under attack. During a lull in the bombardment, William B. Travis, the commander, called his men together and explained their hopeless military position. Wow, 5,000. The only way to save themselves would be to surrender. However, there was the possibility that at night, some people might slip through the enemy lines, and he would certainly understand if, if someone chose to leave. Unsheathing his sword, placing its point to the earth, Commander Travis walked in front of his battle-weary men until a line was drawn in the sand. In a trembling voice, the commander declared, those prepared to give their lives in freedom's cause, come over to me. This preacher continues, without hesitation, every man Every one of them, except for one, except for one, crossed the line. The man's name was James Bowie. James Bowie, too sick to walk, asked that he be carried over on his cot. Before the dawn on March the 6th, <clears throat> with bugles sounding the dreaded Dekelo, or I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but it means no quarter to the defenders, the Mexican soldiers attacked from all directions, began attacking. The Texans fought off the first attack and the second, but the third breached the north wall. The Mexican troops poured into the Alamo compound. The Texans fought in furious hand-to-hand -hand combat, he continues, until every able-bodied Texan soldier had given their lives in battle. Not a single one of the commander's men lived. Survivors included just a few women and children, maybe a few others. Preacher concludes, that's why this cry, remember the Alamo, became the cry of independence for the state of Texas. Because the line had been drawn, and every person who lived in the territory had to choose which side they were on. No longer could anyone be neutral. There was no option C. You made a decision, Texas or Mexico. And you know, 
Similarly, standing not only the test of time, but to eternity, a line has been drawn in the sand. A line has been drawn in the sand. There can be no bystanders for the people of God. Which gate will we go through? Which way will we travel, brothers and sisters? Those prepared to give everything, those prepared to give their lives in freedom's cause, you are called to come over to Christ. The gate is narrow and the way is hard, even unto physical death. But it's the only way to freedom. It's the only way to eternal life. Christ has told us, he's shown us how to get to where he's going. But it's up to us to decide which way we're going to go. Which do you choose today? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we think back. We think back through your word. And we realize that you have always been a God that's given us freedom. Lord, you've made us to be free. Lord, what's more, you've, you've shown us the price that we must pay. Lord, let us never be swayed by those think of freedom in any other way. But when we look back through your word, we can see that the price is ultimate. Lord, this isn't just a one-time decision. This is a decision for the rest of our lives, for every day, for all of the times that you give us. Help us, Lord, to choose the hard road when we're called. Help us, Lord, to carry our cross. Help us, Lord, to love others. Help us to remember that it's not going to be an easy way home. We're not promised convenience. We're not promised comfort. We're not promised to understand what's going on in our lives or in the lives of our families. But Lord, we are promised that you're with us and we're promised that you're carrying us where we need to go. Lord, let that be enough for us. Help us to remember, Lord, that just saying that we know who you are is not enough. Help us to remember, Lord, that just saying a prayer is not enough. Help us to remember, Lord, obedience is what your word calls for. Lord, we remember all of those, all of those that came before us that your word speaks of that were obedient to you. They weren't perfect. Lord, we know they had problems. We know they had troubles. We know they were broken just like us. But Lord, they were obedient. Help us to be obedient. Help us, Lord, to not be swayed by the easy way. But to remember that love has a price and the price is Calvary. 
we thank you. We, we, we praise you. As we sang about your amazing grace, we know that, that our, our chains are gone and we've been set free. Help us to claim that freedom every day in you. And what's more, help us to be witness of that freedom to a world. Lord, your word says is on the fast-moving road somewhere we don't want to go. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. And we cry out to you to move within us for this broken world. It is in the name of Jesus. Pray these things, amen. You know, if you haven't yet made that decision, begin that journey. You know where it starts? You know where the exit sign is? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Get on the road. Get on the road home. At this time, we extend a time of invitation, and uh, we do invite you to come to the altar. Not the Old Testament altar. This is an altar like none other. We invite you to come forward and, and receive Christ. Be immersed in him. Or if there's another public decision that, that you'd like to make this morning, we invite you to come forward. Brother Mike has agreed to uh, receive this morning. And I'm going to come, come over this way, and, and I'll be back up for those that decide to come forward. If you have a public decision to make as we stand and sing, oh, come to the altar to put on Christ and get on the right road.